It's good to be saved, isn't it? Having your sins pardoned, your guilt gone. I mean, it's something to sing about, Amen. something to rejoice in. Good to see you tonight. Uh, Brother Jed, I was working in the city this afternoon, running a little bit late, so Ross took over. Does a good job. Thankful for him. Amen. We're going to pray here in a little bit and then sing another song, but uh, let me mention some prayer requests. Some of y'all, most of y'all probably saw that uh, Sharon Manasco shared a request for Ray. He's been having some tests done and, uh, on his heart, and so keep praying for them. And also keep Roberta uh, Barton or Roberta Imbicus uh, in mind. My wife was over there to see her today, and she's, um, uh, you know, she's dealing with cancer and cancer treatments, and so it's a it's an ordeal, it's a trial for her, and understandably so. Plus, they're needing a place, to, looking for a place to find to live. They need to move, so pray for her. Talk to Eleanor today, and um, her sister-in-law, her her uh, brother's wife passed away on Sunday, and we'd been kind of kept abreast of that condition. She had cancer as well, so I assured her we'd pray for her tonight. And, um, you know, we, we really get pretty hyped up about national elections, and uh, but, but local elections make a difference too. We were talking to some of us today about uh, there's a mayoral election for the mayor of St. Clair in April. First, I think it's this, actually election day is the day of our conference, if I'm not mistaken. But that's a, that's a significant position. So we ought to be praying about that. And I was talking to somebody today about it and said, really, very few of the people who come to our church live in, this, in the city of St. Clair, in, in the city limits. Matter of fact, just a little poll. How many of y'all live in the city limits of St. Clair? Raise your hand up real high. We got one, two, three, four, four families, I guess. Um, so most of us are out in the country. We're not, we're not city people. Y'all are city people. But anyway, um, but, it, I, but I told the person I was talking to, I mean, I'll help. I want to get involved. I think it's an important thing. So it, it affects all of us. So I just mentioned that as, really as a prayer request and something to be thinking about, get it on your radar. It's a little town. You know, if you get behind a candidate with a month left, you can make a difference in this town. So think about that. And then mention the conference. Pray for our conference coming up that same week, first week of April. Um, and it's, in on, it's on our radar, and we're getting more serious about getting ready for it, and, uh, but we'll really be praying for it. And then uh, Debbie Hawkins asked us to pray for her. She'll be traveling out to North Carolina because um, Brian and Katie are going to have babies, uh, twins, and she's going to go out there and help them. And so she asked us to pray for her and her trip and for the babies. And so, all right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, all right? Let's bow our heads together and let's just... Pray for these requests. Let's ask the Lord to work in these different situations, people's needs, requests, and, and let's pray the Lord will 
just use our time together tonight to edify us and encourage us in his truth. Our Father, as we pray tonight, we thank you that we can come before you, that we can have audience to you, access to the throne of God. We're just so privileged, and, and Father, we don't want to take that for granted, and we want to come, Lord, with awareness of what a privilege it is, but also aware that, Lord, we're only able to because of all that you've done for us, particularly our redemption, our salvation, that we've been adopted into your family, that you're not a God that's afar off for those of us who know you through faith in Christ, but you're, you're a God who's with us, always with us. And you've given us this great, great opportunity to be able to make our requests known to you. And so we, we don't want to do it, Lord, out of routine or ritual. We don't want to do it without just being aware of how privileged we are and how powerful you are and what a blessing it is to know that you love us and you have our best interest in mind and you want us to pray and to draw nigh to you that you might draw nigh to us. And so tonight, consciously, Lord, we just come before you as a people, as your children, as a church family, to love you and to praise you, to thank you for your goodness. And Father, to bring needs before you, needs in our own lives, needs of those that we care about, and we just pray that you'd work. Lord, we, we in, the, in the limited number of situations that we can be aware of, we're still so helpless, and yet you're all powerful, Lord, to meet the needs of all people at all times and all places, and we praise you for that. We do pray for these folks that we mentioned, for Ray and Sharon down there in Florida. We ask you, Lord, that you just give wisdom concerning those who are caring for Ray. Give him peace and her as well and show your way. We pray that you just bring them through and show them, again, your plan. Pray for Roberta tonight, and I know she and Misty and their family are um, somewhat overwhelmed with where they are. We just pray that you'd help them, Lord, day by day to trust you and pray for her health. God, just pray that you'd give her guidance, Lord, about the plan you have for her as far as being ministered, her physical needs. And we pray that you'd provide them also a place to stay. We pray for Eleanor. Ask you, Lord, that you'd just comfort her tonight and help her. And Father, we do lift up this trip of Debbie's and time she'll have with her family and just pray that you'd just just watch over her as she journeys and keep her safe and pray that Lord it'd be a blessed time with her family and I know she wants to be there to be a blessing and a help to them and Father we do pray about these local elections we we do want Lord people in places of responsibility that would be Lord um, people who are sensitive Lord to truth and people who who are not just persuaded and manipulated, God, by public interest and agendas. We just pray that you'd give us righteous people. Lord, you tell us in your word that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And Lord, we just pray that you'd guide in these elections and help us to do our part. And then, Father, we pray for our conference. We thank you for the way things are going as far as people 
registering and preparing to come and we just pray that you'd prepare us and help us to be prepared for them and God give us the wisdom that we need the workers that we need and Lord we just pray that Father you'd just protect that conference in a very special way and use it Lord in ways that we could never even begin Lord to understand we pray for that and God is even as people have registered today, we pray that those who you want to be here would be here. And God, may you work your will out in each of our hearts. We thank you tonight, Father, that it's God that worketh in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so we want you to work in us tonight, even in the service, as we sing, as we rejoice in your goodness, as we take rest and peace in your providence. We pray that, Lord, uh, you would just work in our hearts. God, we don't want our, our, the words of our mouth, the sounds that we utter, we don't want it just to be empty, sounding brass or tinkling cymbals. We want to sing to you from our heart. We want to rejoice in your goodness. And God, we want to just uh, be open to your truth that you'd teach us your ways. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand again and sing together, number 512, and then we're going to get into the scripture, all right? All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? divinest comfort here by faith in him to dwell for I know whatever befall me Jesus doeth all things well for I know whatever befall me Jesus doeth all things well all the Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Remain standing. Nice, very nice. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. Ross is thinking ahead. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10 and really 11, the biggest part of it is 
like an interlude between uh, the sixth angel sounding the trumpet and the seventh. If you look in Revelation 9, 13, it shows that, we covered this the other night, the sixth angel sounded, that was the sixth, he sounded the sixth trumpet. And then if you look over in chapter 11 and verse 15, we have the seventh angel sounding. So what happens here in 10 and 11 is it's, uh, it, it's just God gave, is giving us more details of some important things that will happen during this time period. There was a similar interlude between the sixth and seventh seal. We talked about that as well the other night. So we're going to look into uh, chapter 10 and verse 1. John says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, John says, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. We'll stop there for now. Let's pray. Father, again, we pray for your guidance tonight. We know that this is your word. It's your book. It's divinely inspired, preserved for us. And we know that, God, we need your spirit to teach us, to lead us, not only to understand uh, what there is to understand, but also to understand some things you have chosen not to make clear to us. And we want to be able not just to understand it, but we want it to work in our hearts and help us to grow and help us to be aware of, of your word and your will concerning the last days. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in verse 1, we have uh, John's, he says, and I saw, just kind of for those of you who may uh, benefit from a little refresher, the, the um, book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's a revelation uh, that God gave to John and he said in Revelation chapter 1, let's go over there and look at that quickly. In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 19, he says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which are to be hereafter. So that the revelation is what God showed John. And he was in the Spirit uh, on the Lord's day, and the Lord spoke to him and began to make these things known to him. And so in verse chapter, back to chapter 10 and verse 1, this is what he saw. He saw another mighty angel. We'll talk about that in a moment. Come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, a rainbow upon his head, and his face, as it were, was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. So the Bible doesn't tell us um, exactly who this angel was. He said it's another mighty 
angel. There are many people uh, who believe that this was a, an appearance of Jesus Christ. Um, and for good reason. You know, they, you know the, the description there in verse 1, the rainbow. Um, matter of fact, if you just uh, turn to the left a little bit to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3. Uh, John is seeing into heaven and he's seeing in the throne and he says in verse 3 there was a rainbow round about the throne so that rings a bell I'm sure and then if you look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse um, 16 it mentions uh, the last part of verse 16 talking about Jesus his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength and in chapter 10 and verse 1 it says his face was as it were the sun And in chapter 10 and verse 1, it says his feet were as pillars of fire. In chapter 1 and verse 15, it says his feet like unto fine brass as they burned in a furnace. So people look at these uh, similar characteristics and think that it it might have been Jesus. Lots of people believe that. By the way, there are just things in the book of Revelation that you you can't know and say dogmatically about and... Uh, Many people that I read, and I read a lot about what other people get out of verses and think that they mean. And some people are honest enough to say, this is what I think, but I can't say for sure. Those people don't trouble me. What troubles me is when people who cannot be dogmatic, and yet they are, and saying, this is what it says. And uh, so I don't think this was Jesus, saying, having said all that. I think it was, as it said in verse 1, another mighty angel. Um, You know, in chapter, look in chapter 5 and verse 2, and we're going to settle down here in just a moment. We're looking at a lot of places, but chapter 5 and verse 2, this is when John was made aware of this uh, book that no man could unseal the the contents of it. And look what it says in, in Revelation chapter 5 verse 2, and I saw a strong angel Now, this angel was not Jesus. It was a strong angel because it's from this angel that the book would be taken and Jesus would open the seals. So this was a mighty angel. Well, if you go to chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, I saw another mighty angel. So that makes me think this is another mighty angel. You say, why didn't you just say that to begin with? Well, because we'd get out of here in no time. So... And what about the book? It says in verse 2, and he had in his hand a little book open. Three things about, two things about the book. One, it is a book. Two, it's little. And thirdly, it's open. A little book open. And again, we don't know exactly what's in that book except that it contains um, authority, I believe, for the upcoming judgments of God. The first book was not a little book and it wasn't open. It was a book that Uh, John wept because no one was able to unseal and and reveal the contents of that book. And this this book, in a similar way, I think, and maybe it is the same book, we don't know that, but whatever it is, it's it's going to unveil, it's going to reveal, it's going to manifest great, the great judgments of God. And so when this angel comes down with this book, verse 2 says, He set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And to me it's just like, it's symbolic of the fact that this judgment is, 
This judgment, number one, is going to affect the entire world. And it is affecting this entire world. But second of all, as a result of these judgments, Jesus is finally going to take his place as King of kings and Lord of lords and reign on the earth. He mentions that down a little further in the same chapter in verse 5 of chapter 10. It says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the earth that are therein are, that therein are, and the earth, the things that therein are, excuse me, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. So he's, he's really announcing that as a result of these judgments, the final, the final kingdom is going to come. Christ is going to reign supreme. Evil will be defeated. Sin will be eliminated. And this is a, really a, a significant moment in the book of Revelation. Um, then it says, let's back up to verse 3. We missed that. And uh, he had this book in his hand. He's standing on the sea and on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he, the mighty angel, had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now we think about seven thunders uttering their voices. Those thunders are not, uh, they're, they're not language that we can understand. But we, we see here that that uh, John understood these, what these voices were saying. Verse 4, And when the seven thunders had other vo- uttered their voices, I was about to write. We read a moment ago in, in Revelation 1 where God said to him, Write down everything I say to you. The things that are happening, the things that are going to happen. He was like a, he was a recorder, like a scribe. He's writing down those things. But here, he's about to write in verse 4, and... Then he heard a voice from heaven saying unto, me, saying unto him, saying unto me, Seal up those things which, which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. So he was forbidden. He was about to write it down and was forbidden. A lot of people speculate about what he heard. I got news for you. Nobody knows. And John didn't tell. John was not a leaker. John would not let secrets out. He, and he kept it and it's still kept. And that's one of the amazing things I think about this book is some things God makes very clear, some things that I think in time we can kind of figure out, but some things we don't need to know. By the way, if you're one of those people that it just really, really gets to you when there's something you want to know and you can't find out, if you're one of those people, you're going to have a problem with the book of Revelation. Some things we're not intended to know, so, and that's one of those things. And he goes on to say in verse seven, but the days of the voice of the but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, which will come in the next chapter in chapter eleven, when he shall begin to sound, this the mystery of God shall be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So um, this is like I said is an interlude before the seventh trumpet, and so. Um, this, this heavenly voice has um, spoken to John and told him, told him things, told him things he could write down, and then told him things that he, he wasn't able to write down. 
Now in verse 8 it says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again. So he hears this voice again, John does. The same voice that spoke to him in verse 4. And said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And John says now in verse 9, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was tasted good. It was in my mouth sweet as honey, but as soon as I had eaten it, it made me sick. My belly was bitter, indigestion. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now again, we don't know everything that was in the book, but I think what was in the book was a revelation of what's about to happen. I mean, we're already well into the tribulation period. And don't you think that people at that point in time are wondering how long this is going to last? I think it's an interesting phrase at the bottom of verse 6 where he says that there should be time no longer. It's an interesting phrase, and it doesn't mean that time's going to cease. It just means there's not going to be any delay. Time's, this is, this, what's happening is going to happen quickly, and it is happening quickly. And so I, this is not the first time in the Bible when I think about Ezekiel, when, when God said, I want you to take and eat this, and he, and he eats it, and he has a particular reaction to it. And, and I don't think he's talking about physically eating it. I'm talking about ingesting it, reading it, understanding the words of it. And, and John had a, had a twofold response to that. Number one, when he was eating it, when he was taking it in, he said, man, this is good. This tastes good. This is like dessert. And then when it really sank, sank in... What was happening, I think what he means talking, the judgment, the things, the severe outpouring of God's wrath, it was bitter to him. On one hand, they've been crying out. We've read, we talked about this, the, the, the redeemed, especially those who have been martyred, are crying out for judgment. How long are you going to wait, God? That was, I'm paraphrasing. How long are you going to wait until you pour out your wrath? And John is seeing all that. John sees it, it's been revealed to him. And on one hand, he's thinking about the end of time. He's thinking about heaven. He's thinking about the things he's seeing in heaven, the rejoicing of the saints in heaven. Keep in mind, he's not in heaven. He's exiled on the island of Patmos. He's a John the Beloved, the one who gave us the gospel of John, gave us the epistles of John. He's writing this book of Revelation. He's being exiled because of his faith in Christ. He's, he's basically banished away from everyone and everything except one person and that's Jesus Christ and, and, on the, and on the Lord's day he came to him and began to give him this revelation so when he sees what's about to happen on part of it he's sweet as honey but also part of it is just it's, it's, it causes a bitterness it's painful for him to wrap his mind around and digest it and, and I think the same is true of us really I think it's on t I'll make two applications and the one is really the first application is the, the primary application, and that is when we see judgment, we see that judgment's going to come, 
We see that there's going to be an end of this world. We see that we're going to be free, delivered from this present evil world, that we're going to a place where there's no sickness and separation, no sorrow, no pain. That's, that's, that's sweet to us. But when we realize what's going to happen at the end, it's not pleasant to us. It's, it's just. It's not, I'm not saying it's unjust. I'm just saying it's, it's really a sad thing that lies ahead. But I think the same thing can be true about any truth. He's talking about receiving truth. He's talking about application of this. You know, when we, when we get into the Word of God and we receive the Word of God, it's, a, it's food for our soul. It helps us. It encourages us. It strengthens us. It gives us insight. But sometimes also it, 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 they're hard sayings. That's why some people follow Jesus, refuse to follow Jesus. Some of these sayings are hard sayings. And so that's a bit of what I think John was, he said. It tasted good, but then it really it was unsettling to me. Verse 11, he said... He said John said that this angel said to him, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And, and he, so he's saying, telling John, your ministry is not complete. Now, I have to believe that much of that ministering to people would be through his writings. I mean, in reality, let's think about it. how many people have read this and tried to figure it out and tried to apply it and tried to learn from it. Here we are. 2,000 years later, and we're doing the very thing. John's still, in the essence, he's still prophesying before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings, and has for 2,000 years. So that's chapter 10. Chapter 11, by the way, I never intended when we started this series to spend so much time in the book of Revelation. I didn't have a plan, really. I was just going to hit some highlights, but it just seems like it's good to go through it in a little more detail. Now, chapter 11... Um, there are two things about chapter 11 that we're going to talk about tonight. The first one um, is really, I think, a, um, a, a really important section, and that has to do with the temple. Look in chapter 11 and verse 1. John says, And there was given me a reed likened to a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given, talking about the courtyard, it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months, which is... Three and a half years, a, a measure of time that we see so many times having to do with the, the last days, the time of the tribulation. So, so he tells John to measure the temple of God. And the, one of the things that just makes this stand out to us is today as we speak, there is no temple in Jerusalem. There, the, the, second, the first temple was built by Solomon. Um, that magnificent temple, and it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's army, the Babylonians. And then, just kind of refresh your memory, uh, when the Babylonians were replaced by the, by the Persian Empire, the Medes and Persians, uh, there was a king by the name of Cyrus, the king of Persia. When Cyrus, the king of Persia, became the king of the empire, the Persian Empire, 
It came into his heart. This is one of the great miracles of the Bible. It came into his heart to, to send the people who were captive from that Babylonian captivity, who lived in, in Babylon, send them back to their homeland. And so they began to go back, and this was during the writing of Nehemiah and Ezra and Esther, and they began to rebuild the temple. So then they built the second temple. Not as magnificent as the first temple, but it was a second temple. And that second temple was destroyed in, in 70 A.D. by the Roman Empire. And uh, Jesus predicted that. And history records that. And that was, during, that was during John's lifetime. So when John writes here that... Uh, there was given me a rod and says in verse 1, go and measure the temple of God. John, who was a, one of the apostles, one of the disciples, knew and witnessed the destruction of the temple. Long story short, the temple had to be rebuilt for there to be a temple here. And this is, this is one of the important things about Bible prophecy is Certain things, starting right here, have to do with the temple. So that temple had to be rebuilt. So we would call this the third temple. This is not a temple in heaven. This is the temple uh, in Jerusalem. And it says there, um, you're, in verse 1, you're to measure that temple. And verse 2 don't be concerned about the courtyard. The court that's without the temple, leave it out. Don't measure it because it's given unto the Gentiles. And it says in verse 2 again, The holy city shall be tread underfoot forty and two months. So this temple, we, I believe this temple will be rebuilt during the first part of the, of the um, tribulation. And just a couple of verses, and I, I don't know about you, but I think just going back to places occasionally kind of refresh our memory. So I'm going to go to three places, I think. Go to, first of all, to Daniel. We'll come back to Revelation in a moment. But go to Daniel and see this uh, important prophecy concerning what will take place in the temple. Daniel chapter 9. And just going to read one verse and... All these verses beginning in verse 24 down through 27 are all a part of this uh, narrative. But in verse 27, um, Daniel writes about the Antichrist in verse 27. He, that's the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's a week of years. That's seven years. For one week, and in the midst of the week, that's the three and a half year time period we see so often. In the midst of the week, he, the Antichrist, shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So at this time, they'll be making sacrifices in the temple, in the new temple. And this is in the middle of the tribulation. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. He will... It, we'll talk about that more in another lesson, but he will, he will so desecrate the temple, even to the consummation. So here we find again the fact that the temple and temple worship in Jerusalem, in the temple, will be taking place during the tribulation. Now, 
As you know, and I repeat things, not because I'm, I am losing my mind, but it's not just because I'm losing my mind. I repeat things for, for learning purposes. Jesus could come at any minute. The, the, the rapture of believers is imminent. That means we could come at any moment. And when that happens, we're going to be thrust into the tribulation period. So what we're reading about here, the temple worship and the temple being in Jerusalem, it, that could happen. That could kick in as soon as we leave. That could happen. And one of the things that will cause it to happen will be a, there'll be a peace agreement um, with probably between the Arabs and the, and the Jews for the temple and one of the thing, or for the temple ground. And one thing that'll happen is that temple will be constructed. Now go to the Gospel of Matthew for a moment. In Matthew chapter 24, and this is that famous chapter where Jesus is asked directly about what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world. And he talks about all these events we've been talking about in Revelation and we'll be talking about more. But in chapter 24 and verse 15, and this is a pivotal time in the, in the tribulation, he says in verse 15, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, we just read that in Daniel, stand in the holy place that's in the temple, whoso readeth, let him understand. So again, all these verses in different places uh, speak of the same thing. Go one more place, Second Thessalonians. Just keep going to the right as you're headed back toward Revelation. In Second Thessalonians, I'll give you just a moment to find that, chapter 2. Paul riding to the church there at Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Talking about the Antichrist. We're in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians now verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself the Antichrist, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God, talking about the Antichrist, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So all these verses point to the fact that there's going to be a temple, and in Revelation chapter 11, where we've been reading, God told John to go and measure the temple. And so that's exactly what he's about to do. By the way, um, there's an organization in Jerusalem that has a beautiful museum and a very detailed um, lessons about the, about the temple and about the destruction of the temple. And, but one of the things that that organization is doing is they're currently, you can read about this in a lot of places, constructing, designing and constructing furniture for the third temple because they believe it's going to be built. And I have a picture of, uh, of the menorah, the giant, um, is it up here? That's massive. My wife and I have seen that both our trips. That thing weighs a half a ton. It's gold. And it has one purpose. And they're building it to go into the third temple. The third temple is not built, but they know it will be built. And we know it will be built. 
because the Antichrist will one day desecrate that. And so this stands really in what is called the, the, the old city of Jerusalem is divided into quarters. And the, in the, this would be the Jewish quarter of the old city. It's amazing to see. Thanks for that. Um, one thing that, that is becoming um, a kind of a popular view, you know, when you stand there in Jerusalem and you look at where this temple used to be, Solomon's temple used to be, and what you see is the Dome of the Rock. You see this giant mosque, this Muslim worship center, and, uh, which is really incredible to see thinking that that temple will want, was once there and that temple one day will be there. But one of, the, one of the things that is believed by more and more people is that they could, they could actually, it could be that that Dome of the Rock will still be there, when, that they could work out a deal where it would stay there and the temple would be built beside it. I don't know if you've ever read anything about that. There's considerable writing about that. And... Um, and if, and if that be true, then uh, this whole area, really, the courtyard around the temple, even the temple was built in that dome. If that dome stayed there, this, this whole courtyard would become really what it says right here in verse, verse 2, the holy city will be tread underfoot for 40 and 2 months. In other words, there... The, the, the temple itself will be a sacred place, but he said the Gentiles are going to desecrate the outer court for three and a half years. And, and I believe that three, that three and a half years is the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. It doesn't say that for sure. But one thing that um, you'll see as we move on in the book of Revelation is that the, these... these uh, Horrible things we've read about in chapter, the, the various seals, chapter 6, chapter 7, are global. They're worldwide. But, but, but this point, verse chapter 11 and on, more of the focus will be on Israel. It'll be fo focused on the whole world, but it's also going to be primarily focused on Israel and what's going to happen there. So we're in Revelation chapter 11, and we see that the, John was to measure the temple. And then... Quickly, let's just look at the next thing, and that's verse 3, where he talks about these two witnesses. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Somebody divide that up. thousand two hundred and threescore days divided by 30 is how many months? 42, which is how many years? Three and a half. And so these two witnesses are going to prophesy for three and a half years and um, you say who are those witnesses well nobody knows for sure who they are some people believe uh, because Moses and Elijah came down on, on the Mount of Transfiguration be Moses and Elijah some people believe it'll be Elijah and Enoch because Elijah was taken up in a chariot and did not die and Enoch walked with God and he was no more he was translated and the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. These two men are in heaven. They've never died. Some people think it might be them. Um, but there's really no way to know for sure. And 
Interesting, it says in verse uh, 3, I'll give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. And once again, to me, it just tells you of the mercy of God. I mean, we just read at the, the other day at the last part of verse 9, where with all these plagues, the majority of people refused to repent. They refused to turn from their blasphemy. And, and now, and we, and at the same time, we've got 144,000 people out there, Jews, Jewish converts who are preaching the gospel. And now I have these two witnesses that are preaching the gospel. And all it tells me is that we just see the mercy of God, even in the great tribulation, any time of wrath, he's got these preachers proclaiming the word of God. That's the mercy of God, isn't it? i tell you it is. Um, in verse uh, 4, uh, John says, these are the, are the uh, these are the two olive trees, and I'm not going to turn to that. It's found in the book of Zechariah. And two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Here's a little bit about the power um, and protection these two witnesses have in verse 5. If any man will hurt them, you say, well, I think I'm going to go hurt them. Be careful. Because fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So you'll get torched. And also verse 6 says, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. That was something Elijah was trusted God for right in his day, three and a half years without rain. And have power to shut down heaven, it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues. That could be the plagues of frogs or locusts or lice. As often as they will. Like happened in Pharaoh's day, right? Moses lifted his um, staff and turned the water into blood. These guys have the power to do that. Wouldn't that be cool? Just go around and just breathe on people and turn them into charcoal and... Smite, smite them with the plagues, put lice on them. <laughs> Verse 7, it says, And when they have finished their testimony, when their mission is complete, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, the Antichrist, shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So when their ministry is fulfilled, they will be killed. And verse 8 says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. I'm glad that last statement is there, so it clears up any doubt as to where this was. It was in Jerusalem. So their dead bodies are going to lie in the street. And it'll be a time of great rejoicing. Verse 9 says, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. <laughs> 
because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. What hatred, what hatred for these preachers of the gospel. A time they'll have a national holiday, give gifts to one another because these and I think it's I think it's interesting that they didn't even put them in a casket. They're just laid out openly for everybody to see and I think and you know on one hand we think that's that's really that's really a negative thing. It's very a positive thing because there'll be no denying when they come back to life. They couldn't say, well, they took them somewhere and they weren't really dead. No, they'll watch them. So people are glued to their TVs, glued to their satellites all over the world. By the way, I don't know how this, you know, it just makes it so much easier to understand how this is going to happen, how everybody in the world is just going to be rejoicing and having friends over and saying, let's have Let's, you know, have a great party, buy gifts, exchange gifts. These two people that have, have, have just tormented us, that's what the Bible says, are now out of commission. Verse 11, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. and They stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them that saw, which saw them. I guess so. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. I mean, John is seeing all this stuff. Isn't this cool? I mean, John is seeing all this stuff, and we're going to see it. I mean, we'll, be, we'll see it kind of from the same perspective that John was seeing it. And, and it's going to be an amazing thing. At that same hour, it says in verse 13, not... Not the next day, not a week later. At the same hour, there was a great earthquake. And the tenth part of the city of Jerusalem fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. And those who remained, the remnant, were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, there's going to be people in that crowd that were saved. I mean, there are a bunch of haters, a bunch of, you know, anti anti witness people but there's always going to be people that that are coming to know the lord verse 14 the second woe is past behold the third woe cometh quickly and so this it's really it's really escalating in, in time let's let's finish this, this chapter look in verse 15 the seventh angel sounded so here's the last of the trumpet And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. This is the announcement. We're coming into the home stretch. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God. There is hallelujah time in heaven saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. I mean, it's just, it's hard for us to understand how powerful this is for people in heaven, and we'll be there watching this, how people in heaven are just going to rejoice that once and for all, evil is going to be dealt with, and justice is going to happen, and God's God is going to reign supreme. He does reign, but the devil's had his, had his day, and it's just a wonderful time. Everybody's not happy, verse 18, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, 
and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy, shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And then John said, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Second mention of the temple in heaven that we've seen. Last one we saw at the first, first mention. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So people in heaven are rejoicing. The nations of the world are angry. The just are getting their reward. The ungodly are about to get their reward. And um, it's all coming to conclusion. So um, we'll stop there. And as I said a moment ago, the net, the, um, a few minutes ago, the shift is changing in the book of Revelation from just thinking about the whole world being under uh, really experiencing the wrath, the outpouring of God's wrath, drinking the full cup, full measure of his judgment. But now we're going to focus not just on uh, the city of Jerusalem, but on the people, of God's people, because one of the primary purposes, and we'll take this up Sunday night, Lord willing, but one of the primary purposes of the judgment is not just to judge sinners and not just to judge the Antichrist and not just to judge Satan, all that's going to happen, but one of the primary purposes is to bring the Jewish people to the place that they acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. So there's a kind of a shift, the focus on Israel, and we'll take that up in chapter 12. As I said Sunday night, I, I just repeat in closing, um, if I was a person listening to this and taking this seriously and believing this, and I wasn't saved, I'd be troubled about that. This is not fiction. This is not, this is not a fairy tale. This is what's really going to happen. And God in his goodness lets people see that. So if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you don't know you're saved, you, you, ought, to, you ought to take this to heart. You ought to think seriously about this. And it makes us as Christians think seriously about eternity as well, doesn't it? On one hand, about what, how good it's going to be to be out of this sin-cursed world. But also, on the other hand, to realize what this world has to look forward to. And it's not going to be pleasant, is it? It ought to cause us to have a burden for getting the gospel out to people, doing our part to give people the truth about the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together, all right? Our Father, as we pray tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving this insight, this revelation to John and for preserving it for us in our Bibles that we can read it. And our Father, we, we're made to acknowledge tonight, to recognize your great patience, long-suffering with a sinful, wicked, vile, corrupt world. 
But we know there's an end to your long-suffering. And as John wrote, the, the time is coming and it will not delay. God help us as we read these things, not just to read them with interest in the novelty of what you say, but help us to also read it with interest in how it affects people, how it ought to affect us, how it affects those who are viewing from heaven, how it will affect those who live on this earth, those who are unsaved. God help us keep that in mind. And finally, Lord, I just want to thank you that through all of this, we just see once again your power, your majesty, your might, your providence, your sovereignty, your control, that, Lord, you're bringing all things together according to your plan, and we praise your holy name for that.